Week one, you might be coming in and like, let's say you're doing a max effort day. So your max effort day might be, let's say a trap bar deadlift. That's week one. Uh, and we might be having you go up to uh, the heaviest you can go for five uh, with chains on the bar. And then week two, uh, maybe we're having you do like a wide stance box squat. And let's say that week we're having you go up to the heaviest you can go for one. And then week three might be a narrow stance squat. So with that week, maybe you're going up to the heaviest you can go for five. And then that would be kind of your, your like base three weeks. And then you would kind of cycle back through that again, except week four would be the trap bar deadlift again, but maybe you're not doing it with chains. And maybe this time, instead of doing the heaviest you can go for eight, maybe you're doing the heaviest you can go for one, and that's off blocks. So you're, you're constantly repeating those, those same three main core lifts that you have. So trap bar deadlift, wide stance box squat, narrow stance box squat, and then you're just kind of changing the rep schemes and the implements that you, that you use on those exercises. That was Grant Fowler, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle stimulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the contact grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Today's episode features guest Grant Fowler, and we are talking programming design and athlete adaptation. Grant Fowler is the owner of Fowler Fitness in the Woodlands, Texas, Grant is a creative coach who is a performance consultant, both in person and online. He's been getting fantastic results with his athletes in the realm of speed, strength, and power. When I put out some uh, lines on social media as to guests that you guys wanted to see on the show, Grant Fowler was a guy who came up multiple times with 
people noting that he was someone who was doing programming different, more creatively. He had a unique system of thinking. And so naturally, me being curious and loving programming, I reached out to Grant. He's on the show, and we really had an awesome talk, really enjoyed it. Grant also is doing programming for Kevin Foster, who's been a previous guest and a frequent uh, writer on JustFlySports.com. And Kevin, in his own training for the 2020 Olympic trials in Javelin, has remarked to me how great of results he's been getting with Grant, setting regular gym PRs, doing so more easily, and really just has been really just blown away by what he is, what's he's a, what he's able to do and accomplish under Grant's programming. So we're going to explore Grant's ideology today. It comes from a little bit of a non-traditional, or I guess should say very non-traditional place in the sense that he didn't go through the typical university system, the typical uh, certification educational system. He created a system really from his own experimentation and his thirst for knowledge. Today he's going to share how that came about and what that is. He's going to go into its connections, his programming's connections to Westside, how he shuffles max effort days, dynamic days, auxiliary work, and how each of those days are nuanced as to the needs of sport athletes and not necessarily powerlifters, and how frequently each of those, and they're all a little bit different, uh, those stimuli are cycled in and out of the program, how they're changed and tweaked along as his athletes go through their, their process. We also have a fun talk, an important talk, on this this barometer between kind of more fixed and regular training stimuli, think the Bondarchuk training system, or even like a one by 20 versus something that's like a 14 day cycle, a 21 day cycle, things are getting switched around, uh, a lot more novelty in the program. And it really brings a lot of important questions to light. It really got me thinking about elements of my own programming. And this was just a really great chat, a fun chat with Grat Fowler. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it as well. The more I have talks like this, the more I think about this whole programming equation, this, there's the science and the art of it. And I look at the art as like um, almost like mixing beats on a computer. You have these all these different sounds and instruments coming in at different durations, different frequencies, different rhythms. And it makes me think of how Grant is looking at his maximal efforts, his dynamic efforts, and his, and his auxiliaries as he goes through his program. I, Program And I've seen that in other elite programming co- coaches who are elite at programming as well. And it's just cool to think about. I love talking about this stuff. And so let's get on to it. Episode 190 with Grant Fowler of Fowler Fitness. Grant, how was your start to coaching different than the, the typical coaching route or how we typically get into this field? Um, you know, well, to start, you know, I never really went to school for anything, you know, sports science or exercise physiology related. Um, I actually went to school initially for business marketing, you know, and I think I think in a lot of ways, I'm kind of grateful that uh, the whole sports science academia uh, scene never really shaped a lot of my early views on training. Um, And I actually made a post about that the other day. I was kind of talking about how I think a lot of people tend to get almost pigeonholed by their education, because on one hand, you know, you're definitely going to be learning a lot of, of a lot of job specific uh, practical material with your degree. Uh, but unfortunately I think that's where a lot of people tend to stop. You know, they, they kind of have a hard time being able to, uh, draw and, or like extrapolate information from other fields. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of really my background from an educational standpoint. You know, I, I went to school for business marketing, so I, you know, I don't really have you know, a super heavy background in anything, you know, sports science or training related. Um, 
you know, so the, the creativity part of it, I think definitely was, was able to be cultivated from that because, um, you kind of don't have a lot of those, um, you know, things in your head from your education that, that sometimes I think can, can hold you back a little bit. You know, again, on one hand, it is useful because you're, you know, you're learning the specifics of, you know, whatever it is that you're going to be doing. Um, but at the same time, I think if you kind of stay stuck in that, in that space, um, sometimes that can kind of, that can kind of be a limit on what you can do, uh, you know, creatively. Yeah. Two of my greatest mentors, uh, in, or two of my great mentors in the coaching space, one was a music major in college and another was a sculpting major in college. And so, and it's awesome when you start to see some of those themes show up and how they approach the practice. And I do think it's, yeah, like what you just said, I, I've had discussions with my colleague Paul Cater about this, but people who get, start coaching and their their base is the the academia and then they go versus people who have been in it creatively for six, seven, eight, ten 10 years and then get into the academia. And so I think that there's a very powerful difference between the two. I was going to ask as well, your, your background in just training as an athlete, I'm sure you've started and enjoyed training from a pretty young age. Yeah. So I did, uh, I did pretty much every single sport, you know, up until I was probably, I guess, a junior in high school. So, you know, I played soccer, I did basketball, I played baseball. Um, I wasn't really good at any of them. Um, but then I kind of started to get into, uh, jujitsu and that was kind of one of the things that, you know, I, I really enjoyed. And so I was able to kind of, kind of excel in that, um, you know, not, not to a high degree, but it, because it was something that I enjoyed a little bit more than the other sports, um, you know, I was, I was kind of able to, to get pretty proficient, you know, at that, um, I, I did powerlifting, I did track for a little while. And again, I sucked at most of those as well. Um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, now that I'm, you know, into training, uh, you kind of look back on a lot of the things that you did, you know, in high school and you kind of wish that you knew what you knew now. Um, you know, I, I think I could have been a lot more successful in, you know, some of those sports that I played. It was just kind of defeating because, you know, you, you get injuries, you get those small nagging aches and pains. And sometimes, uh, the desire to excel in the sport, you know, isn't really there if you're constantly dealing with a lot of those issues. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of coaches look at areas and that we all want to go back on and say, yeah, I wish I would have done this differently. I think that there's, there is that for sure. Sometimes I look at, and I, I thought about this recently about my college track experience and I've and maybe it would have been like this maybe it wouldn't but this kind of goes with what you were saying about I think the the creative elements and it was a mixture like I had when I was competing as a track and field college competitor I I really don't think I would have jumped quite as high or maybe as far if I was went to a typical university where they're like okay here's the workout you're gonna do it and there's no creative input on my own end my college experience was, uh, and I was fortunate my coach let me do this. And I think he realized my need to like, to put my own creative input in, but he's, there was a basic workout structure, but the jump days, if it was a jump day, it would basically be me kind of doing my own thing. And I also, a lot of times would do an extra with the coach's blessing plyometric or a shot, like sometimes throwing medicine balls on like a Saturday or something like that. But I, 
I was given enough creative lead to do a little bit of my own thing. And I think it actually worked really well. And if I wouldn't have had that, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have done the marks that I did. And I also learned a lot from it in hindsight. I also did some really stupid stuff. Um, one of which, the stupidest of which was I decided I was reading like some West Side stuff and some band training. And I, like two, three weeks, I think three weeks before the national meet, I decided to do some squats with the the, the green jump, jump stretch bands on them. And my max was not very good to begin with. And it, and I had a ton of band tension at the top relative to what I... It's the first time I had done it, and I was sore for like a week. I was definitely sore for a week after that. And even I, I remember the way I was getting up off the ground at the national meet was a little bit longer ground, ground contact time. Like it wasn't quite that. There was other reasons for that too, but that was a very dumb joel decided to do his own thing moment there that i would absolutely go back and change if i could <laughs> uh, we, we learn a lot from those experiences yeah no absolutely it's it's you kind of have to have that balance between somebody else giving you some structure until you don't need it anymore and then you kind of having that ability to kind of modify your training intuitively on the fly oh yeah 100 percent. i needed that structure very badly in college it was actually it was a situation where I didn't have any structure really my first couple of years, very little. Cause I was a, I don't know why I did this. I was a, well, I, I could tell you why, but it's a different discussion, but I was a sports medicine athletic training major for two years. And so I missed a lot of track practices and spent time um, in the train. I had to spend time training room hours instead. And some of the stuff I was doing was extremely, <laughs> extremely poor. And then I quit my sophomore year. And then I just started practicing with the team, my junior year, and my high jump went up four inches and my, triple jump went up four feet but a lot of that was environmental too like just sprinting with other people and, and doing all right. that in the whole nine yards kind but of that was, competitive component yes oh and I, I i run off that like to me i think that's important for everybody but i really need that and but yeah it was it was important yeah i, I agree i think that like with the general structure until you can do it yourself so i think that was it was interesting for me uh you i mean you've been training for a long time like since probably like a lot of people but age like 13 you were telling me before the show something like that like very early you started yeah, yeah, no, I've I've been interested in training for a while. I mean, I remember when I was uh I think around 13 or 14, you know, I was I was like reading articles on Teen Nation and stuff and like you know, obviously like like Teen Nation is kind of I think now it's like the information might not be as relevant as as kind of it used to be when they had a lot of you know, different coaches on there, but you know, back in the day like Teen Nation was kind of like that was like the place to start because you had access to, you know, all these good coaches. Like, you know, you're getting introduced to like Poliquin and like, uh, you know, Dave Tate and, and all these guys. And so you kind of had this pool of like, you know, experts in their own, you know, you know, unique fields, I guess you could say. So like powerlifting and then, you know, you had guys in like the sports performance realm. And so, you know, it was kind of nice because you could, you could sort of read some of those articles and then you could branch out and, and kind of find some of these coaches and dive into their work a little bit. So that's actually kind of how I started to, to learn a lot about training was, was just from websites like that. And then kind of, you know, branching off. Yeah. I remember when I was in my mid twenties coaching track, 
I I had put it upon myself at one point. I'm like, I'm going to read one Teen Nation article, you know, a day or a week or something. That was, but now I would never That's, do that. Yeah. <laughs> I would never. I mean, it's still there's occasionally some good stuff on there. You know, it's just a different market and marketing tactic now. The way that they for go, sure, you know, yeah. it's just a little different for coaches. But yeah, man, I uh, and so uh, programming. I one of the things that I really am excited to talk with you about because I know you think differently about it. So just talking about your background and how you got started and where your thoughts and interests are. Um, what are the biggest influences you've had in the approach to training athletes that you have now? Um, you know, well, in terms of the actual periodization structure, I'd say Louis Simmons would probably be a big one. Um, you know, I think in terms of the conjugate system itself, I think too many people focus on kind of the specifics of what's being done in that system and less on the structure of the system itself. Um, which is basically kind of founded on the existence of these nonlinear uh, systems or dynamics. So the entire premise behind, you know, a nonlinear or an undulating form of, of periodization or training is that nothing to begin with is going to adapt in a linear fashion. Um, and, and even on sort of like this macro level, you know, kind of in like just a general life, uh, I guess you could say perspective you know, nothing in a complex system, you know, behaves uh, in this in this linear way. And so it's partially this kind of unpredictability um, that's sort of like the underlying driver of, of adaptation on one hand and then also keeping athletes engaged in the training itself. Um, so a nonlinear program really is just, you know, built in a way that kind of respects, I guess you could say, like the uh, – the native structure, the kind of the clock that the body operates on, so to speak. And while I think, I think there's uh, there's kind of some short-term advantages to, you know, certain linear approaches or specific linear, um, you know, training plans. I think I think you always need to fall back to this non-linear uh, structure. And it's funny because if you look at a lot of people that train predominantly using uh, purely linear approaches to training, you know, they're all, they're either one always getting injured or two, they're plateauing a lot. And then you'll hear a lot of them say things like, you know, I, I, th I think I'm going to switch up my, my rep schemes this week, or I think, you know, maybe I need to deload this week. And then it's almost like they intuitively know that what they're doing isn't really sustainable. And then they kind of just end up reverting back to this almost like, pseudo nonlinear approach to begin with yeah I, I was with the nonlinear thing too i was thinking like speaking of outside the box right i i was looking at my stocks the other day and i was looking back like the past month year five years and looking at just the little lines the little ups and downs right and i was thinking there's this isn't that much different than training you know no one's even back when I bought, um, I bought a jump training book. And speaking of our early learning experiences, mine was, well, what's the best program in the back of Slam Magazine? And thankfully, this thing called the Science of Jumping was there, and it was ten times better than like the Air Alerts and all the high rep plyo stuff uh, that that I had gotten that would work for like a couple weeks and then start to flatline. But even that program had mentioned it, it was very clear. It's like, look, your results on this program are not going to be in a linear fashion. Uh, and, and I will say that it was more of a linear program, uh, in the sense of here's phase one, here's phase two, da, da, da. but it's like, it's going to be up, down, up, down, and it's going to trend towards getting better. But the, it's not like every week you're going to get 
X amount better. So I, I found that, um, I, I was just, I mean, I've always thought that way, but to me, it's like just sitting there and looking at this line from something else. I'm like, yeah, this is how it is, you know, how it tends to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the thing that a lot of people don't understand with nonlinear training to begin with is that it's not, you're not going to see necessarily these gradual improvements, you know, from like week one to week two, and then from week two to week three, it's going to be kind of you know, sporadic and, and a little all over the place. Obviously, the trend is going to be up over time. Like if you were to look at it, you know, over like a year's year's time, because you obviously want to make progress. Um, but it's different, you know, than in these linear approaches where you might you might make really good progress for two or three weeks, but then you're you kind of hit this point where maybe for like two to three months you're not making any progress, you know. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a lot of things to be considered, and so going back to so Louis Simmons program, I think a lot of people are familiar with the conjugate system, but for those who aren't, could you just explain um, what what that is in terms of what you're doing with it? Because I know you had said, and it's true, it's the methods we use for athletes are different than powerlifters who lift in suits, <laughs> and yeah. so how so what is that method, and what are you doing with that that is specific to training athletes? Yeah, so the conjugate system itself, you know, when you think about West Side Barbell or you think about, you know, the, the phrase, you know, the conjugate system, that's typically going to be associated with like, you know, you're doing a lot of max effort, so you're maxing out a lot. Um, you're, you're doing a lot of, you know, stuff with bands and chains. And a lot of that stuff is useful. Um, but, you know, again, I think people kind of miss out on, you know, the, the structure of the training itself, which is kind of this idea that you need to be constantly rotating um, different exercises uh, and different training means so that you're never adapting. Uh, well, I don't want to say not adapting, but you're not getting used to any one thing. Um, and you're, you're also not going to burn out because if you're, you know, training in kind of a linear fashion where you're doing the same exercises week in and week out, it's going to be difficult to um, continue to make progress like that. Um, and it also kind of predisposes you to certain, you know, injuries, um, you know, specifically overuse injuries because you're constantly uh, beating up the same muscle groups over and over. So the conjugate system kind of, you know, is a way to almost build in uh, deloading into the program. And that's kind of done just by constantly rotating you know, either different exercises, uh, different rep schemes, um, different training techniques. And so that kind of eliminates the need to, you know, always deload um, because it's it's basically built into the system. Yeah, I know the, the West Side lifters, I think they would switch the exercises up in some manner every two weeks, I think it was, right? And so, and I don't think that they were deloading. It would just be, okay, two weeks, then switch. That's correct, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's what they did for like if they had a quote unquote like dynamic effort day um, where they're doing like speed squats, they would generally do two to three weeks of, you know, like the same exercise. So maybe it's like a squat with bands. Um, but then for the max effort exercises, so, you know, the main lift where they're they're maxing out, uh, those lifts would change every week. And then the accessory exercises would also change every week. Okay. So in the, the typical system, it was max effort, one max effort day for, let's just say lower body, uh, and upper body, and then one dynamic effort day 
and the max effort changed every week and the dynamic changed every two to three and the accessories changed every week. Yeah. So, so that's the way they did it. Um, but you know, that's not necessarily, I wouldn't say that's like a, a hard rule. Um, if you follow the general guideline of, you know, kind of frequent change, um, and, and, and variety, you can kind of do it really however, however you want, or in a way that you see, uh, would fit the specific athletes that you're working with. So you could do it, you know, every other week, you could do it maybe two weeks in a row and then change. Uh, you could do it every single week. You know, it kind of just depends. Um, I think even, even changing the way you change the exercises up could be beneficial as well. Yeah, sure, sure thing. So in terms of how this shakes out for you and let's say you're, let's say you're programming a month of training for an athlete, how does this end up looking like in what you're doing for them? Um, so, you know, in terms of, I guess you could say like the max effort training, um, we don't really do like a traditional max effort. Um, you know, we'll have a day where maybe they're focusing on, you know, a specific big lift. So it might be a bench press, uh, it could be a squat, uh, it could be a deadlift. Um, and we're taking that lift and we may be doing a max effort with it, but it's not necessarily like a one rep max. Like we have some weeks where maybe they're doing, uh, two sets of the heaviest they can go for eight. Uh, the week after that might be, you know, one set of the heaviest they could go for three on a different exercise. Um, and, and basically what we're doing is we're creating this, this big list of, you know, generally like if we're, if we're training lower body, we'll have, uh, two or three primary exercises that we use. Uh, so we may have a narrow stance squat. We might have a wide stance squat, and then we might have, you know, a trap bar or a conventional deadlift. And then we're basically taking those core two or three exercises uh, and then we're changing the way that we do them every week. So one week there might be bands. Uh, the next week it might be done off blocks um, or chains. Uh, and then we have, we basically keep a record of, you know, their one rep max on, let's say, a wide stance box squat. And then, you know, we'll keep another record of their eight rep max on a wide stance box squat with, you know, chains or something like that. Uh, so they have this big list of things that they're basically trying to beat, uh, every time they come into training. Um, and, and it works extremely well because, you know, they always feel like they're making an improvement, which they are, you know, they're, they're never coming into the gym and not, uh, able to hit some type of PR. And so that's, that's another great thing with, with just the system in general is that when they come in, uh, like let's say they're doing, you know, they're scheduled to do maybe a max that day. Um, if for whatever reason, they're not really feeling up to it, we'll say, okay, well maybe let's try to beat your eight rep max. Um, and, and sometimes you'll find that a lot of kids, you know, maybe they can't get anywhere near their one rep max that day, but they'll easily blow their eight rep max out of the water. Um, so again, that kind of goes back to sort of how the body is adapting uh, in this non-linear fashion. And, and you can basically respect that by having this uh, variability and then sometimes even the ability to choose what you want to do uh, just based on how you're feeling that day. Um, so that's kind of how we do, I guess you could say, the max effort training. So we don't really have them 
you know, do a, a one rep max necessarily every week, but they are uh, hitting some type of a max, be it an eight or a five or maybe even a three. Um, and then occasionally cycling in those singles in there as well. And then, you know, that would be for, they would have an upper body and a lower body day like that. Uh, so one day would be specialized or dedicated towards, you know, a squat or a bench press. Uh, and then the other day would be, um, or you would have, I'm sorry, you would have one day that would be maybe a squat or a deadlift. And then the next day would be a bench press or, you know, some type of, <clears throat> of an overhead press variation. Uh, and then they would have two days after that that would follow kind of a similar dynamic effort style um, uh, training day, except they're not necessarily doing, you know, speed squats. Like they might be doing like a heavy jump or some weeks it, it may be a speed squat. Um, sometimes we'll cycle in tempos on that day. So maybe they're doing a squat with, you know, an, an eight second eccentric um, those days, those days are almost even more variable. Um, so we kind of, we're kind of just always cycling in different, uh, training intensities, tempos, uh, and exercises on that, uh, dynamic effort day. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. Uh, a couple of follow-up questions off that for you. One is how often do you actually write the workout in advance? Would you say like where it's written to the T or is every day kind of up for grabs on some level in terms of what you're actually going to do? So we typically, basically what I do is I'll take kind of what they've done for the past two or three weeks. Um, and, and I kind of have a, like a similar template that I follow. So we typically tend like, like let's say they're doing a dynamic effort day. We, we typically will start them out with, you know, something that might be kind of similar to a triphasic. So two weeks of an ISO, two weeks of an eccentric, two weeks of something speed oriented. Um, and so that's kind of almost the base template, but then the way that we implement certain, uh, training means or, or variations is kind of just based on, on what I feel like they haven't done in a while. So kind of going back to the max effort day, um, I'll basically take a look at what they did, you know, two or three weeks ago. So like, let's say they hit a heavy eight. Um, I'm not going to have them hit another heavy eight the following week. Uh, we might do something that's kind of, uh, a little far away from that. So they might be hitting like a heavy three or a one. Um, and that's going to be a good way to basically ensure that they're never detraining anything. So it's not super structured in the sense that, Every single week needs to be, um, you know, super planned or I guess you could say based on anything that they did the week before, um, aside from just kind of making sure that they're not really being too repetitive uh, in some of the exercises and the training means that they're using, if that kind of makes sense. So even kind of going back to like some of their accessory exercises, like Week one might be a heavy split squat, so they might be doing like two sets of six to 12. Uh, and then the following week after that, we might have them do something like an ISO split squat. So even even with, uh, with things like the ISOs, um, that's going to be changing every week. We're never doing ISOs every single week like a lot of people do. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, um, but... You know, we're we're constantly just changing the uh, the contraction types, 
the rep schemes, uh, and then the exercises. And so those, those changes will be kind of based on what they did the week before. Um, but other than that, it, a lot of the workouts are written, um, almost on the fly sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the more, the longer I've been around a variety of different coaches, I have looked and, and respected much more the, the doing things on the fly. Um, my own yeah. warm ups have become for my athletes are, are, and this is, this is where I actually like it. I'll, I'll pose this question to you now. I, I'll say in my structured, in my more structured programs, the teams that I have more structure, I tend for me, it's actually a little flip flopped on some level. The accessories, I tend to actually change the least. And I was thinking about how were you saying with West side, the max efforts changed every week. That's the biggest neural demand, like the most stressful thing, right? So it makes sense that that would get changed quite often. The dynamic day, probably, I guess it depends on a few things, but it seems like to me that would be a little less stress to the nervous system, a little less threat than the heaviest bar on your back possible. Uh, and so maybe that could be cycled less, but the auxiliaries, they're the least stressful. So on some level, it makes sense that they could be from, if we're looking at like a threat level, right? A threat and let's not do this again for a while, potential, um, level it, that makes sense on one end. But then also I, I've, I enjoy doing something in my teams where I use the warm up as the accessory, so to speak, where we'll do a 20 to 30 minute warm up with a ton of different, uh, calisthenic based movements and a lot of different stuff that you could call accessory on, but it's more like human movement based. That's always different. And then the meat, there's the meat and the potatoes after that for the most part. And then we might do a little bit other accessories at the end. I, and in that sense, it is highly variable. And I like that too. Um, so I, I'm curious why, uh, what your take is on why those accessories are mixed up so often. Uh, and that maybe the dynamic day less, if that makes sense. Well, so the accessories themselves actually aren't going to change um, nearly that often. So I think I probably didn't explain this well enough, you know, previously. But with the accessories, um, we're basically doing kind of like a one week on and then one week off approach. So like week one might be a split squat. Week two might be an ISO split squat. And then week three might be right back to the same. Uh, the same split squat. So there is variety in the accessories, but it's not changing nearly as much as the, uh, the max effort lifts. So the max effort lifts are going to be constantly changing, you know, in the way that we do them from, you know, bands or chains, um, the exercise itself, uh, pulling from blocks or pulling from a deficit. Um, but with the accessories themselves, we'll generally have, um, you know, one or two variations of a specific exercise per muscle group. So if we're doing, uh, let's just say triceps, we might have one week where we do a tricep extension and the week after that might be, you know, an overhead, uh, tricep extension. So you're kind of, you're basically just hitting different parts of the muscle. Um, but you know, it's not like you're doing like 20 different, uh, tricep exercises. So the accessories actually stay pretty simple. Uh, I mean, we do rotate them every other week, but then they kind of rotate right back. So there, there's not nearly as much variety in the accessory movements as there is uh, in the max effort movements, at least in terms of a lot of the implements that we're using with them, if that kind of makes sense. So we're not really like throwing bands or chains on accessory exercises or anything like that. It's just kind of slight modifications in, you know, foot position or, or stuff like that. Sure. So every other, yeah, that makes sense from an every other week. So 
yeah. and that's um that's actually how I tend to run my my main stuff is typically in every other week format. So we might do um like a, a full depth squat week one, a two thirds depth squat week two, and then week three go back to full, and then go back to two thirds. So I'll I tend to run that. I just call it a fourteen day cycle because you're you're doing week one's different than week two. I haven't. I want. I kind of want to like something in me is like wants to get to that twenty one day cycle where it would go say full squat to two thirds to a speed half squat and then go back to the top. But I'm like I need. I think I need another year to master this or two to master this, um, the two week cycle before I branch out to three. But I, I mean, it sounds like you're, I mean, you are more on that three week, four week. Do you have cycles? Like, do you, are you like, okay, I'm going to, uh, we did a one RM squat day today, week one here. Maybe we'll hit this again on week four. Is that in your view or it's, is it pretty much just what the athlete's feeling on that day? It's like, okay, I think this is what you can PR and your highest chance of PRing today is in this. So let's hit this. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely structured in, in, in that way. So we, you know, we'll have, um, we, we don't want to make, or we want to make sure that they're basically not doing anything that they've already, um, done, I guess you could say like the weeks before that. So like if they do a wide stance box squat, um, you know, the following week we might do, um, you know, a wide stance box squat, but but change the height a little bit. Um, so I, I think kind of going back to what you said in terms of like, you know, how much variation you have in there, you do almost have to master less variation first. Um, I think, I think three weeks is kind of the limit that you can, that you can reasonably get away with in terms of how much you change things. So if you have, you know, a squat, a deadlift, um, and then, you know, another squat variation, you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the limit where you want to stay in terms of, you know, how often you're rotating through different exercises, because if you, if, uh, different variations, you, you kind of get to a point where you no longer get the benefits of the variation itself, because you kind of, you know, that motor pattern isn't, uh, as fresh. And so you kind of tend to lose, um, some of the progress that you make. And, and that kind of goes back to the accessory exercises as well, because, you know, we did, we did initially try kind of changing them, um, you know, every two to three weeks, um, instead of that, that one week on and one week off approach. And, and what I found in my own, in my own personal training was that it, you kind of, you tend to lose some of the progress that you made because you haven't been doing the exercise frequently enough. Um, so, you know, we always want to make sure that, uh, that they're kind of doing things that are going to be, uh, based on what they've done, you know, in the past month. So it's not, it's not completely random. Um, it is kind of structured around what they've already done. Um, and then if they're feeling a certain way, like if they feel like, you know, okay, my hips are super tight today or my back is super tight, then that's when we'll change it. So we don't really, I I don't really have them change up the exercises or the training protocols unless they specifically feel like that's kind of, uh, where they need to, to head that day, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure thing. I, that's where I'm. That is the thing I'm interested in because I've I talked to myself about the difference between, you know, you got a 14-day cycle and that's pretty good. 
you're moving to a 21. Now you're thinning out that stimulus a little bit more. The more you keep moving beyond 21, like you said, you don't want to hit the same movement like once every six weeks or something like that. It's a little bit too, it, it, too yeah, thin. Exactly. <laughs> I, I saw the first, the first sport, I don't, I don't know if it was, it was like, maybe have been a perform better conference or I, I think it was sports performance, but it was, I remember seeing someone speak who, he was a strength coach at Rolls, Rolls Holman University for a while and then went and did his own thing in the private sector. And his program, as I remember, was kind of similar to yours. He had it very, but it was all mapped out in the sense like it's like we don't repeat a movement or a lift. It was something like once every four or five, six weeks they didn't repeat it. And apparently they were getting good results. I think they were doing stuff that was close and in the ballpark, you know, but it was it was right. everything was pretty stretched out and i always kind of wondered i hadn't heard from that guy or any writing on his system or anything of that since and shoot that was 15 years ago i kind of i you know i i had wondered what that was and so cuz i always look at i think there's always those limits you know what's the what's the closest you can reasonably do and then what's the farthest you can reasonably go without repeating something and then i think the goal of it being a big thing too i i wanted to ask you this is I also think in terms of you, know, you have the bonder chuck training system, or even even one by twenty, which I think is very that that little essence, that repeatable format, is very much in there, where something is repeated over and over again for a particular period of time. Um, and so that's almost one end of the spectrum. And then I think what you're doing, or that Rose Holman coach, or a twenty one day cycle, is kind of on the other. And I think they can both work for people in a very good way. Um, but what do you think the big um, I guess what you could say, well, what, what's your thoughts on the big differences and what's the, like, what's the closest that you will go in a situation? Like, or if you have a novice athlete who's just starting or uh, what's the closest that training sessions would end up getting together for you or so of a similar stim, similar stimuli. There we go. Well, so in terms of things, I, I think there's a big advantage to think to things being um, similar or predictable when you're trying to learn something. So if you're getting ready to peak for a competition um, or you're, you know, you're peaking for a big event, I think that's when training can get a little bit more structured uh, or I guess you could say linear, um, linearly structured um, because, you know, I think, I think what a lot of people don't understand about the bonder chuck system is that it's, it is really good for peaking um, you know, especially for athletes that already have like a really solid base of, of movement variety, um, and just that really good foundation of general strength kind of already under, the, under their belt. Um, you know, I think a lot of the things in the bonder Chuck system, uh, they're going to be kind of predicated on, on motor learning, uh, coordination, and then just general skill acquisition. Whereas, with more of a nonlinear program because you're not doing any one exercise uh, or event as often, there's not going to be a huge skill component there. Um, so most of your adaptations that you're going to get in kind of a nonlinear, uh, you know, style of a program, they're, they're going to happen a little bit slower, uh, but they're going to be predicated a little bit more on kind of like raw improvements in, uh, strength, speed, and power without that skill component there, which is, which is good because you'll see a lot of guys that can maybe, uh, like maybe they can squat a lot, but it's like how much of that strength, um, was, was you actually being strong and how much of it was just from you being, you know, really proficient at the skill itself. Um, you know, because being really proficient at, 
the skill of squatting doesn't mean a whole lot in sports, but the strength that you gain from it potentially does. Um, and the actual skill it, of squatting itself isn't isn't going to be super, you know, applicable to, to, to any type of a sport aside from, you know, something like powerlifting. So, you know, what I like about nonlinear conjugate forms of training is that it it sets you up with this really this really solid base of, I guess you could say, just natural or raw ability. Um, and then you can kind of take those uh, those abilities. So like strength, speed, and power, and you can, you're able to translate it into a specific skill a little bit easier. Um, when you move over to something like, you know, the bonder Chuck system where there's a lot less, uh, variability in the movements, um, that you're doing, because then you kind of, you kind of shift from this very general approach to training, um, to kind of the skill or the, uh, skill acquisition, side of training where a lot of the movements that you're going to be doing in the bonder chuck system i think are are pretty sport specific right oh yeah it's all it's all based on the transfer scale i mean you get to some accessory stuff at the bottom that's not so much but the majority of it has a very distinct purpose right so so at that point that's where skill acquisition and and the motor learning side of things can be useful because it's going to allow you to transfer um you know your newfound um, proficiency in that skill into whatever specific sport activity uh, you're you're trying to transfer it to. Um, whereas just getting generally good at a squat, um, you know, that's going to be a little bit different than honing the skill of a squat itself, if that kind of makes sense. So, you know, I think in the bonder check system, the skill component of learning those exercises is going to be a lot more important because they're, they're specific as opposed to being more of, of like a general form of development, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, I mean, I, I kind of already had one idea uh, and a few sprung into my own mind as you were speaking on it. And one was, I think the idea of when we talk high frequency training and high frequency training, that's pretty repeatable doing a similar thing or even and I forgot to mention even stuff like pa- uh, Pavel's power to the people where you're just doing two by five deadlifts every day or whatever. I think the key is always that you never get into threat or that like a minimal amount of our many systems. I don't think it's just one system. It's a lot is there's the, uh, you have to have at least not many systems going into threat where they're really the nervous system is apt to shut it down. And I was even the bonder chuck system too. And I, you, you touched on this well and, the idea that I think it's it's more about uh, expressing what an athlete already has in terms of skill skill acquisition on a level. I do think that the high frequency non threat type work can get you a little physiological stuff. Um, but I, I think about it, it's even doing something like throwing a hammer every day or a discus. There's a lot of degrees of freedom in that. There's a lot of different little micro adjustments you could make to the body and throwing the implement. Probably more so than how many ways you can wiggle your body and doing a heavy squat or even a jump off one leg or something, or even a sprint. I think there's a few less little subtle degrees of freedom in those movements. And therefore us muscles and joints are going to get like kind of pounded a little bit more in a very specific way. I think you have more options when you're throwing something for the most part. Um, and so maybe that's something to do with it too, but I, it, it, 
does to me i'm like wow it really goes back to what you were saying in the sense of like these bigger for developing athlete and developing physiological qualities pretty much the more intense the stimuli the more we really need to vary it up and, and change it week to week and do it a little bit less often yeah no absolutely you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster so i i had i had one thought i, I forgot to mention this before but you you had said it too uh, this is going back to the last question but with uh, high frequency and peaking and tapering uh do you do you run things any differently there when an athlete's getting close to their uh, uh i guess it would be i mean that's more like a track a, a track athlete or an individual sport right but i've i have always found that as you said i i really enjoy if i'm running like a you know a program and it's for the most part going on for 12 weeks or something we're building up to something the last two or maybe three or four of those uh that 12 week period i really like dropping into a very high frequency mode to really express i find it really helps to express what's been built um and you you had pointed to that a little bit in what you were saying before and so what do you do you do anything differently if you have an individual sport athlete and they're looking to taper or you're or they have a big competition or anything in that nature coming up yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what we typically tend to do, um, just because we do have a lot of athletes in the room at once <laughs> is we'll basically have two programs on the board. So one is going to be more of an off season program. Um, and then the other one's going to be, I guess you could say a little bit more in season or peaking oriented. Um, and so the peaking, the peaking program is basically going to be kind of similar to, the off season program, uh, it just basically is going to be a little bit higher frequency. So there's going to be, uh, less variation in there. Um, you know, we're not going to be maxing out or doing a whole lot of, you know, high volume, uh, exercises, you know, within that program. Uh, but it is going to be very similar in structure in terms of, you know, everybody's going to be doing a squat. Everybody's going to be doing some type of a jump variation. So the, the, the general structure stays the same. Um, but we just, we, we tone down the variability just a little bit less. Um, and we do up the frequency just a little bit more. And then typically they're going to be training, um, you know, instead of four to five days a week, they might be training just kind of depending on their schedule, uh, maybe two or three days a week. Um, especially as you know, their practices start to increase. Um, I mean, especially like a lot of the track kids, some of those, some of those guys are in there you know, practicing like five or six days a week. So it's not practical to have them in the gym, you know, four to five times a week as well. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely gets a little bit interesting once you hit in that uh, taper period. And and the, I was going to ask you, yeah, do you have a different, <laughs> so you answered it there, do you have any different workouts in a large group setting? So there is some, there is a little bit of distinction there depending on what, what train you're on. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're going to be doing a little bit more sprinting, uh, generally. So like short sprints and stuff like that. Um, you know, but in terms of the, uh, of the exercises itself, you know, the exercises are going to be pretty similar. We're just going to change like basically the contraction speed, I guess you could say. So instead of doing a vertical jump, maybe they're doing a band assisted jump, uh, instead of doing a squat it, 70% for a dynamic day, maybe they're doing 50%, uh, and they're moving it a little bit faster and maybe they're doing it with bands, uh, instead of doing tempo work. So, you know, it's, it's basically, 
a lot of the same exercises. So maybe the off season guys are doing, you know, eight by three on squat at 70% in season or peaking guys might be doing the same thing, but instead of 70%, it might be, uh, at 50%. And then instead of doing, um, you know, a loaded vertical jump, maybe it's a band assisted jump or just something that's going to be, you know, a little bit, uh, more of like a higher speed or a higher velocity type of an exercise. So those are kind of some of the, the typical changes that we would make. Um, it's just going to be a little bit less load. And then again, instead of doing, you know, four or five, uh, training days a week where they have an upper body and a lower body day, it might be, you know, two or three days a week. And maybe they're doing full body workouts instead of, uh, upper and lower splits, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Grant, you talked about isometrics a little bit. You talked about doing a split squat, and isometric split squat and, and the auxiliary world. How uh, can you take me a little bit through how you're utilizing isometrics in your program in terms of uh, muscle length, recovery, anything like that, or other things you're using in that trying to achieve that same thing? Because you said you rotate them through. Are you uh, just some examples there on how you're utilizing that portion of your program? Yeah, so I, I really like isometrics for um, kind of that ability to, uh, I mean, whenever you're doing an isometric, you're, you're basically doing something that's, uh, it's very endurance oriented. You know, if you're holding a split squat for three to five minutes, that's, that's going to improve your ability to kind of, uh, to handle, you know, a little bit more local or to have a little bit more local endurance in whatever muscle you're training. Um, so I really like them from that standpoint, obviously there's, there's a lot of other benefits as well. Um, but we'll kind of cycle those in, uh, every other week. So, and we usually use them as an accessory movement. So again, like if we're doing say week one is a split squat and they're doing like a heavy two sets of six to eight, uh, the following week might be an ISO split squat where they're doing one to two sets of a one to three minute hold. And so we basically try to progress them um, kind of up to the point where they, if they can hold a three to four minute split squat, um, we basically make them add weight. So they're going to, next time they do the exercise, they're going to start at maybe a minute, but now they're going to have like some five pound dumbbells or, you know, something just really light. Um, And then they're going to basically progress their way all the way back up to three to four minutes. And then once they can get there, they're going to add a little bit of weight. Um, we actually had, we had a couple guys that did a five minute split squat with, I think 50 pounds. Whoa. So that's any chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty insane. Cause that's you know, gnarly. most of the time when you see people doing those, they're just their body weight, which I mean, even, even a five minute body weight split squat is pretty impressive. Um, and then when you, if you can add load on top of that, assuming you can, um, maintain your position and you can kind of maintain a good muscle contraction without just kind of getting lazy in that position. Um, that's, that's super valuable just from like a local muscular endurance standpoint. So that's kind of how we use ISOs. Um, we typically don't use them every week. Um, I think, I think with anything else, ISOs need to be rotated as well because while they're not going to be super heavy on the joints, um, they're obviously going to be taxing different systems heavily as well. Um, so we rotate those like we would anything else. Um, and, and that's also going to allow you to make 
you know, better improvements in them as well, because if you're, if you're doing them every week, it's kind of hard to get to that point where you're able to, uh, you know, to add time, you know, every, every time that you do them. Um, so yeah, we, we pretty much just treat ISOs like we would any other, um, accessory movement, you know, we're, we're going to constantly rotate them in and out. Um, and we'll do those with, with most body parts. So we'll have, um, you know, like the ISO split squat, we'll have an ISO glute bridge. Uh, we might have, you know, like one of our favorites to do now is the, uh, the reverse plank. So you're basically sit, kind of sitting on the GHD, um, kind of facing up. And so that's, that's a good ISO that we'll do for, um, just kind of the superficial abs. Um, so we kind of basically take all of their main accessory movements, um, and then we also have an ISO variation of those same exercises that we'll do with them, uh, every other week. Yeah. That, uh, I've done a five minute ISO lunge. I mean, it's a, the split squats an ISO lunge basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. Uh, no, I mean, it's just terminology. <laughs> it's just, you know, maybe it's a, you know, call it different parts of the country or, or whatever. I'm sure you, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, I will have a different name for it. So, uh, no worries. I was just going to say uh, that movie it's hard enough, but just body weight. So holding fifties is pretty gnarly that would be do you have that on a video somewhere i'll, I'll throw it in the show notes if you do uh, <laughs> uh i think i might actually and it, it wasn't i'm sorry it wasn't 250s it was 50 pounds total so they were doing no. uh like 25 pound dumbbells still legit that's still pretty difficult yeah <laughs> but I'll, I'll see if i can find that and send it to you because it was i mean it was insane <laughs> and that's another thing too is the athletes love to compete on those you know mm. that's another element where you can really add um you know competition into that to keep the engagement high yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what I was going to say. In rotating that stuff, it makes sense because it's mentally, that stuff is mentally taxing, especially if you're yes. taking anything for five minutes, even three to four, it, it, it can really get up there in the mentally taxing point. And I think that if we look at all the systems of the body, that system of systems, that, that mental, emotional, psychological is way more important than I think we tend to give it credit for, especially when we're talking about PRing every week and we're, we're feeling, we want to feel good and good about ourselves every day. <laughs> and you have that mental lag from, Oh, that's, this was sucked last week, but it was good. It felt good, but there's still, there's just stuff. There's a residue. And so I, that's interesting. I've never heard anyone recycling ISOs like that, but yeah, it's, that's cool. That's a cool insight and way of doing it. I'll definitely have to take a look into that. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. Cause I actually had an athlete walk up to me a couple weeks ago and they're like, if you made us do those every week, I would not train with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because like they, he was kind of telling me like, I like the fact that there's that, that break in there that, you know, I know, okay, this week I'm going to do something hard, but it, it's not that, you know, and then next week I might have to do it, but there's kind of some, uh, I guess you could say some, uh, it's just nice to not be able to, or it's nice to be able to not have to do that or worry about having to do something that intense every single week. Yeah. It's, it really, it almost fits in the finisher mentality. And I know that Dan John had in one of his books, he was never like, go had a dice that he would roll. And there's one of six finishers you could do or something like that. But it's like, there's six for a reason or to do the same finisher every, it's, it's just gonna, it's gonna get you. And, uh, I like, yeah, I like that idea of mixing it up when he, when you're taken to the house, it, it really does. And, and I've, you know, I've heard stories of systems that really rely on that stuff. And it, it takes a special type of athlete to really be able to bear with that stuff for an extended period of time, doing it very regularly. And, uh, it, it definitely says something about, I think your ability to be resilient and compete, but it also, I think that to hit the broadest spectrum of athletes and even to give those athletes who are that mentally resilient, a little break, 
there's something there's something about that. I think that's cool. I uh, I have one last question, which really is just just a nuts and bolts one, and that's uh, based off everything we're talking about. Let's just talk about like max effort and dynamic effort. Um, then something just simple, so lower body squat, something simple. Uh, take me through what maybe like three weeks might look like. So uh, if my for my dynamic, my max and dynamic effort day. What may a three-week program with Grant Fowler end up looking like if I go to your gym? Uh, just talking about that day, and we'll uh, we'll we'll have that be the last one today. Yeah. So uh, you know, week one, you might be coming in, uh, and like, let's say you're doing a max effort day. So your max effort day might be, uh, let's say, a trap bar deadlift. That's week one, uh, and we might be having you go up to. Uh, the heaviest you can go for five uh, with chains on the bar. And then week two, uh, maybe we're having you do like a wide stance box squat. Um, and let's say that week we're having you go up to the heaviest you can go for one. Uh, and then week three might be uh, a narrow stance squat. So with that week, uh, maybe you're going up to the heaviest you can go for um, five. And then that would be kind of your, your like base three weeks. And then you would kind of cycle back through that again, except week four would be um, the trap bar deadlift again, but maybe you're not doing it with chains. And maybe this time, instead of doing, you know, the heaviest you can go for eight, uh, maybe you're doing the heaviest you can go for one and that's off blocks. So you're, you're constantly repeating those, those same three main core lifts that you have. So trap bar deadlift, wide stance box squat, uh, narrow stance box squat, and then you're just kind of changing the rep schemes and the implements that you uh, that you use on those exercises. So that could be like bands or chains or something like that. Uh, the dynamic effort days, uh, those are typically going to be like a two-week wave. So you might have you know a squat at 70%. Uh, and maybe for two weeks, you're going uh, six seconds on the way down. Um, week three, you might start uh, maybe like an isometric style block where you're doing um, a six-second pause at the bottom of that squat at 70%. Maybe you would do that for two weeks, and then you would have another two weeks where you're doing uh, like a concentric uh, phase where you're doing – you know, 70% off of pins and you're trying to move it as fast as you can. Uh, so it's, it's almost kind of similar to like a triphasic thing. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be set up the same way. It's just kind of nice to, to rotate through some of those different muscle contractions. So dynamic effort day, uh, usually, you know, a, a two week wave, uh, and then the max effort exercises are going to be, uh, you know, three different exercises, uh, in those three weeks. Yeah, you said seventy percent on the dynamic squat. I'm assuming, like, what's the rep ranges on that? And I'm assuming it's an all out, like, explosive, like whatever the tempo is. It's still an explosive concentric. Yeah, so it, it kind of depends on uh, on the percentage. So if if they're doing seventy percent, it might be a five by three. Um, if you know the next cycle, they're doing fifty percent with band tension, it might be eight by three. So typically, if the intensity is a little bit higher, we're going to lower the volume down uh, to something like a five by three or a, a six by three, especially if they're doing tempo work. Uh, and then if they're having a, if they're doing a speed or a dynamic, like a traditional dynamic effort style day, uh, the percentage might go down just a little bit to maybe fifty or sixty percent. 
Uh, and then they're typically going to be doing that against some type of accommodating resistance, like a band or a chain. Sure. Yeah, cool. I, I like asking those questions because it really helps me to visualize how this all looks and, and plays out when we when we actually set it up. And so it's always good to get that to really end on that level of visualization. These conversations and, and the one on variety in programs always really gets me into that whole the repetition without repetition or even looking at parkour and parkour athletes and what they're able to pull off having a high variability type setup versus something that's more uh, free flowing. There's I think there's so many, I mean, I, this, that level of discussion and topic uh, can get really deep in a sense, but I think it's important to start with the, the creativity and the results and just uh, things that uh, pragmatically work. And so I love having these talks and uh, it, was, it was awesome enjoying your creative process today, Grant. So thanks for keying us in on your training methods. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for listening today. We're glad you could tune in with us. I really enjoy putting these together, and it was awesome to have a programming chat. Uh, we talk about a lot of awesome things on this show, but where it all started for me was very much exercises and programming. So it's good to come back to that, and it's good to talk to creative minds like Grant. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're tuning in on. We would really appreciate it. It really helps spread the message and what we're doing and helping people everywhere learn a little bit more about athletics and the human body. Also, don't forget to support our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, supplies of high-end training technology. They have an awesome blog, amazing store with the best of in the sports tech category, so be sure to check them out. All right, we'll see you next week. Have a good one.